This is David Wilson, and welcome to episode 69 of On Another Track. I used to sort of think of your voice when I heard messages on your answer phone. He's think he's got a bloody good radio voice. And then when I did your uh, research and uh, LinkedIn, it was OK Radio. You were there for three years, weren't you? I was, yeah. Well, it's what brought me up to Fort Mac was radio. Well, it's cool that you're doing this. It would be something I would deeply enjoy doing. That's the voice this week of my guest, Russell Thomas. He's the owner of Birdsong Studios, and he's made great human connections through his inspiring paintings. Welcome along to my podcast series on another track. We're here to explore people and places from around the world. We hear the stories that have transformed my guest's journey and help them get on another track. It's not always pretty, but if you need that practical advice to figure out the roadblocks ahead, then you can't go wrong by learning from other people's mistakes. It's an enlightening experience and a great journey. I first met Russell in 2015. He has the amazing ability to capture a moment in time in his paintings, and he uses his paintings as a conduit. And he often embraces the most traumatic experiences in life and listens to the wind. And he says painting moments are really, really important, and he's never said no to a painting opportunity. Listen as he takes us on the journey of why he paints in abstract colours. And more importantly, what's he doing at the moment with his 52-week painting challenge? However, Russell will not let you forget the main reason why he paints. It's about making those human connections. I first opened by asking Russell, did he remember the first time we ever met? It was, it was when we were, I was a project manager for a project up in Fort McMurray and you were working with a company that somehow we were doing things together, right? It's all a bit confusing. It, it totally, well, I know the older you get, the more confusing it does get. But uh, what was yeah. wonderful about it when I first met you, um, and I, I was a sales rep for a furniture company at the time, I was more than impressed by your generosity and also your philanthropy came through, the, the fact that you were always wanting to sort of raise money and do really great things. And one of the things I discovered about you was these amazing paintings that you paint. And again, rather than me describe it, because it's very hard for me to do, describe to the audience how you really got, went about becoming a painter and, and how you differentiate yourself from other people in the market. I am probably the most unstrategic, unplanned human, human being on the planet because my, my career arc has been influenced by moments of opportunity that I couldn't have predicted. Uh, I was in the radio business accidentally for a decade. I, I fell into a marketing role accidentally. And the painting, uh, it came out of a, a time when I first started working with the United Way. I had uh, two things that happened. I'd lost an election. So I was a city councillor up in Fort McMurray. And my professional life was not in the best of shape. And I knew that the end of a position was near. And as it turns out, I was unemployed for a single day. And then I went to work with the United Way. And my life changed. I, I went from being in a corporate, high intense situation to being in a philanthropic situation. And um, it just felt great. And I started painting uh, accidentally. And I'll tell you how. I, I went into the back alley behind our house. And behind our house, there's this, this little shed that I used as a carpentry shop. And I was out back there and I went, oh, poop. Somebody had tagged my shed, a graffiti person. And I went, oh, man, well, I need to cover that up with something beautiful. So what I decided to do is I got a can of white paint and a roller and I, I rolled out a big canvas on this big wall and it was five feet by eight feet and I decided I was going to paint uh, a Métis elder named Elsie Yannick. Now Elsie was a real amazing human being. She was the person who was always called upon to give the community blessing at these big events. Right, got you. She was a torchbearer for the Vancouver Olympics at the age of 92. Uh, just an amazing human being. So I decided to paint a portrait of Elsie. And after it was done, it took about a day, I brought her over and I, I'm a marketing guy. So I invited the press 
and the local cable channel and the radio stations. And well, the next thing you know, me and Elsie in this painting are on the front page of the Fort McMurray today. And uh, the, this social media thing started up where uh, people would want to get their selfie with Elsie by coming and finding the mural. It was rather difficult to find because it was on the public realm in this back alley, but it was hard to find. So they get all excited when they find it, they take their picture with the painting and they would post with the tag selfie with Elsie. So that began this thing. And I'm not sure how many days after that, but Trudeau was in town. And I playfully tweeted to Trudeau, you should come and get your selfie with Elsie. Oh, right. Well, next thing you know, Trudeau shows up at the house. Now this is before he was prime minister. So he was running for the election where he eventually won. Uh, but it's typical Canadian moment, you know, the, the leader of the opposition of the entire country shows up at the house, no, no security. He just comes right on back and had a nice little visit. Anyway, that began uh, the journey. It, it was unplanned and I didn't know what the heck I was doing, David. I, I didn't know what kind of paint to use. I had no supplies. And, and the, but there was something there. And so I, I decided I would continue to paint. And at this point, I still didn't have canvases and I really didn't have real paint. I just had paint that I got from the paint store. I'd go to their mist tint section and I'd buy a bunch of cans of mist tints for 10 bucks. And that, that was my palette. And um, I decided I want to keep painting. So what do I paint on? Well, oh, I got a bunch of old albums. I'm going to paint on an album cover just this old whatever it was. And so I painted a portrait of Oscar Peterson. Oh, and, yeah. And I decided, I wonder if anybody would pay for this. So I put a little thing on my personal Facebook and there was a little bidding war. And next thing you know, it sold for whatever, $300, $350 to a guy in the United States. And I went, oh my gosh, that was easy. And in that moment, I overcame my fear of selling. You know, I've done art a little bit through my life. A little bit. But I was always super uncomfortable with asking anybody for money. Like it just it didn't feel so I'd give everything away that I did. But this changed it. And all of a sudden I became comfortable with it. And as more and more paintings came along, the sales continued. And then, and then I started to see, wow, well, this takes care of our vacation expenses. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And uh, the next thing you know, I, I started getting requests from people to paint particular like commissions, but they started piling on and I couldn't keep up. And um, it actually ended up becoming stressful because I was letting people down because I couldn't keep up with the demand. And at some point I decided I got to try to do this full time, which would have been after you and I met. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, Cause I started full time in about 2017 and uh, I've been doing it ever since. That's an incredible potty history you've just given us. But I have so many questions. So let me sure. let me back the bus up a little bit. So so here's the one thing that, that is really high in my list at the moment. You hinted at the fact that you had some painting experience. And when you actually look at your paintings, you know, the proportions, the shadows, you know, the way that you do things it really speaks of a professional painter. But the colours are the most amazing thing. And I don't know how you can describe this to the listeners, but they are abstract in the, in, 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 in the extreme sometimes, but they work. That's the thing. And I think that was really from what you were saying, that palette that was available was what you could afford. And, and that was wonderful. That kind of drove you down that alley. So tell us where you got the kind of experience to paint. Where, where did that skill come from? Oh, gosh. Um, I started doing these really basic paintings with, like they were essentially black and white paintings and I used a little bit of yellow. And this was back, I don't know, 25 years ago. And I tried a few more complicated things, but I did it really sparingly, very, very sparingly. And then one day, um, my father-in-law was giving my son a watercolor lesson, our son Ben. And I asked if I could sit in because I'd always been curious about watercolor painting. I've just never tried it. So I had that lesson, and at the same time, I picked up McLean's magazine, and there was a story of an artist named Mandy Strobo from Calgary. 
And Mandy Strobel was doing something called bad portraits and they were really bad. They were horrible. They were bad, but they were so bad they were awesome. And she was, she was making a great living, at least that was my perception, at doing these bad portraits. And she'd do, you know, Mayor Nenshi and whoever. But it was the idea that she had where she gives herself a limited amount of time and she just has fun. It's not about being precise or careful. It's just about painting a portrait super fast. And it was the idea of stripping away the need for perfection and having fun with color. I did my first watercolor portrait and I went, oh my gosh, that looks really cool. And then I just continued over Christmas. But then life got busy again and I stopped painting. But when I started working with the United Way and this portrait of Elsie Yannick happened and then I, I started to sense there was something really important there. I made a commitment to myself that I would not let it go this time. That I would commit, no matter how busy I got with life, to doing at least one painting a week. And I stuck to that commitment. And of course, in fact, of course, it's way more than one painting a week now, but uh, even then, once the, it was almost like a snowball rolling downhill, I just picked up speed and started producing a, a lot of work. And it helped that they were selling. Like it, that's motivate, motivating that people wanted to buy what I was creating and it was unlikely the colors. Now you talk about, you ask about the abstract nature of the, of the colors. Well, what ended up happening was, uh, I guess in a way it just happened because it had to happen that way. We only had a black and white printer. So when I'm looking at a photo reference, I had to print the photo in black and white. So that's all I ever looked at was a black and white and I had to come up with my own colors. And for the first period of time, absolutely. I was using these mistints as my paints. And so I was somewhat limited in what the selection, <laughs> the selection that I had. I, I, I can't really remember how long it was before I bought my first set of professional paints. Um, but it may be a year. And then the world changed again. And it really has just been a lot of learning and experimenting and allowing myself to evolve. I, I often share with people that I'm stubbornly um, self-taught in the sense I, do, I don't have an interest in taking a lesson or a workshop. I do learn and absorb by osmosis, but I am stubbornly on my own path. And uh, I think it's taken me to a good place. You know, that's wonderful you say that ex expression because it almost reminds me of Paul McCartney from the Beatles ah. who never really learned to write music properly. He never, he, he did it by osmosis, but look what he created with John Lennon, which was phenomenal. Ah. It was their own approach to the art of writing music. And I think that's really what you've done, isn't it? You've kind of just saw something that really excited you, it got you inspired and you thought, let's have fun with it. And that, that was the key to it, wasn't it? Let's have fun. And it's interesting you, you bring up Paul McCartney because uh, I read the book by Malcolm Gladwell about the 10,000 hours principle at the same time this was all happening. And so in the back of my brain was this commitment to the 10,000 hours that I was going to work at this and I was going to work at it. And I continue to work at it every single day in the way that McCartney and Lennon and the, the, the entire band did in those early years when they went to Hamburg and they're playing, what, eight hour shows and having to learned so much music they got really great but they it took work and I think that's the thing I talk about people always say I'm talented but I think more so I have a work ethic that has driven me where where I've gotten to I totally understand that actually a bit like me doing the podcast it takes a lot of time and effort to put these together but there's almost like a feeling in my heart and my soul that I want to get this information out there to people it's so important it drives me every time I want to do a podcast and speak to people like yourself because what you're just talking about there could inspire somebody else and that for me is is gold you know totally gold yeah I think the less the, the thing I often say is never too late I mean, I was 47 years old when I started this painting journey, 47. That's pretty late. And I didn't follow any rule book. <laughs> Absolutely not. And just sort of figured it out and built, built it into a business with my wife. And uh, my wife is an important partner in this because she handles all of the business side, the money side. And that cannot be under 
um, accentuated <laughs> because if I had to deal with that side of it, ugh, I, I just, it would slow me down and it would be much harder. Um, so we're a really good business team and she has subsequently become a very good abstract painter as well. And um, is a really nice compliment. When you come to our studio in Okotoks, you see my work, you see her work, and the two complement each other really well. And, and let's put a name to, it's Heather, isn't it? You're good Heather, name. that's yeah, right. Heather yeah, yeah, which is fantastic. And you know, I totally understand that because being the artiste, the person that creates, you don't want to be distracted by the analytical things of life. You know, that's the point, isn't it? Well, to some degree, I was saying we have a guest staying with us uh, in our Airbnb suite. It was a baseball player. And I was sharing that uh, when I was young, I wanted to be a baseball player. And my uncle said, if you're going to be a baseball player, you got to keep good stats. And that stuck with me because I, I do keep really good stats of my paintings. And there's a spreadsheet that has all of them. And if I didn't have that spreadsheet, if something happened and it, I dis it disappeared, I would lose my mind because it's my archive. It's my... It, it tells me everything. How many paintings have I done? Who bought that painting? What size was it? Because it gets complicated after almost 2,000 paintings. Wow, that's incredible. And, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was just going to ask you, you know, if you do the analysis on your paintings, primarily, you know, have you found the taste of change as you start to create these paintings and you did individuals? And then, of course, when you hitched up with us at uh, Solutions, you did the Beatles, which was wonderful. Sure. And I, I find that the groups speak to so many people. You can cover so many bases with the groups, especially the groups from the 60s and the 70s. But what have you found? What's been the kind of trend? Has it been a bit of a roller coaster or has it just been like the weather? You just don't know what <laughs> what's going to happen one day to the other? You know, uh, I'm going to be really honest here. Uh, I kind of, if you, if you think of it in waves, my wave was sort of really, really high after the fire in Fort McMurray. Really interesting. And the yeah. fire in Fort McMurray was devastating, but in terms of my art career, it, it, it blew me up because I did a painting in the middle of that evacuation that ended up on the national news. It, it connected with people at an emotional level and my audience grew exponentially very, very quickly. So that happened. And then what happened was all the people that lost homes in Fort McMurray built new homes and they needed a lot of decorations on their walls. And so my business was really good for a number of years because I had a good community reputation. I had a variety of work that appealed to a broad cross section of people. And we were living in a house that the mortgage was paid. So it was never, <laughs> I was never really worried about money things, right? It's a little bit more challenging now. Um, and sometimes it's disheartening because of the, the curve. There's sometimes a down to the curve when sales feel harder and that happens. And I, I, I gave the an, uh, analogy of uh, pick any rock star. They have their, their big moment, their big albums. And then they try to achieve that album success again and oftentimes they never do and next thing you know they're in zellers and they see an album in the dollar bin that's that's normal for artists and i'm and i'm coming to terms with that and it's not to say i'm selling paintings for a dollar but i have to be a, a lot more innovative as the years go along and try to find the markets but the thing that emboldens me even when times are slower and there's especially during COVID when you couldn't get out and do live painting events and that kind of thing um, is when people walk in the studio for the first time and I get to observe how they react. And oftentimes it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> and, and they'll always find something that appeals to them really deeply. And so down the road, somebody asked, do you know that R Russell Thomas guy? And they'll know who I am and they'll have their favorite painting at the tip of their tongue. And I think in some ways that is different from a lot of other artists. A lot of Alberta artists do landscape paintings and you may really appreciate a landscape painting, but are you gonna be able to tell somebody, oh, I, I really love blah, blah, blah. No, because it, does, it doesn't lend itself to that. But they could say, I remember that painting of Gord Downey that Russell did, oh my heavens, it just 
was amazing or whatever the case may be. You know, I can totally relate to that because I do a radio program as well, which, you know, I spin some discs from the 50s and 60s. So it's the classic groups from the rock and roll and the British invasion era. And we were just talking about the Beatles a moment ago with the 10,000 hour rule. It's it's almost as if um, it, it hits that kind of um, amazing soul part of your body, isn't it? You know, the paintings do the same emotive thing. So we were just talking about your Rolling Stones painting that you've got in the, behind you there, just as we're, we're broadcasting here. And, of course, that hits me because being a Brit, of course, they were part of that British invasion. They were equally as good as the Beatles, but just in a completely different way. And, of course, that speaks to my emotions. It speaks to my soul. So I think, I think you are right there. There's something else going on because you're taking what is maybe live or dead people but people that meant something to people in their life is that is that the fair interpretation i've always said the it's less about the painting is a conduit it's a connector between a person's present and and memory and or emotion it just helps connect those two things and in that way i just i feel like i'm a vessel for this i'm it, it's not about how wonderful that painting is. It's it really about the experience that each individual viewer is going to have with the painting. And I've had so many moments that have been profoundly moving, whether it's a, a memorial dog portrait or a loved one who's passed away and I do a portrait. I, I could share one uh, story that pops to my head. So there was, there was this uh, football coach up in Fort Mac who sadly took his own life. And um, this gentleman was a really big guy. He was, he was big and his sister asked me to paint his portrait and I said, yes. And I'm painting the portrait. And as I was going along, I was, he was so big. I, I, I was kept focused on the size of him. And I wanted to distract the viewer from the size of this guy. And so I decided I needed to put some words on the sleeve of his shirt to change the focus a little bit. And I don't remember exactly what those words were, but it was something like brother, coach, friend. It was four words, brother, coach, friend, son, or whatever it was. And I showed the, the sister the painting and she said, oh, oh, that's amazing. You must have visited his gravesite." I said, pardon? She said, well, those are the exact four words that are on his headstone. No way. And I went, Seriously. Wow. So sometimes that happens. Um, and when I'm doing those kind of portraits, I don't overanalyze. I don't overthink anything. I'm just honoring the person or the subject that's in front of me to the best of my abilities in hopes that it, it has an impact. After Robin Williams took his own life, I painted him that same night. Um, it started at 6.30, I was done by 9, and that painting captured Robin Williams and, the, and both his complexity and his pain and his brilliance all at the same time. And it wasn't because I was being smart. I think it was just I was honoring the moment and how I was feeling, but tapping into how the whole world was feeling at the time. That that's most incredible how you describe that because I often find when I'm doing these interviews with people I pick up an annoyance or a a little kind of you know affliction but it's it's something very interesting or something somebody says and I think it's very much having that empathy you you are the conduit like you say you you feel it don't you and therefore you have to release it again and that's what I think you do with your paintings is that release of energy and creativity produces these unique portraits that are just speak to people like you say but the fact that you had those words on his sleeve was just incredible it must have given you kind of ooh, the yeah, chills yeah yeah there's and there's so many great stories like that you know the the bb king story is one i often tell so i painted bb king the day after he died and uh sometime later somebody claiming to be his wife's goddaughter reached out wanting to buy the painting for bb's wife and well, I said, you can't buy it. It's already sold, but you could buy a print if you like. And so she bought a print. I really didn't believe she was who she said she was at that time. But uh, some more time goes by and I was in the studio one cold winter night and the phone rang and it was BB's wife calling. Incredible. To say she had just received this painting and she was weeping like a baby and she just wanted to thank me. And she said, is that okay that I called? I said, sure. <laughs> And so we had this marvelous 20 minute conversation. And so her name's Joe. And uh, Joe shared that her and BB met at a bar 
called the oil can in Vancouver. Oh, seriously. <laughs> and I said, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? I said, I met my, my son's mother in a bar called the oil can in Fort McMurray. And, you know, anyway, so we were just talking as human beings do. And um, she obviously loved the man deeply. And, and so you make these wonderful connections. And she was one of the first people that reached out to congratulate us when we moved to Okotoks. You know, so she's followed our journey. And uh, so it's, it's a real blessing. And that's, you know, celebrity type person, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's the people that we've touched with the work where they've lost a, f a father, a mother, a child. And those paintings, um, if they can play a role in helping people move forward, I'm thinking of uh, the coach of the humble Broncos that I painted his portrait after the bus crash. And that portrait was gifted to his wife. And I was told through a friend that she talks to that painting every day. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Here's the thing I want to ask you, and I think, you know, we'll talk a bit more about the paintings in a moment, but I really want to discover where you come from, Russell, because ah. you have such um, such an amazing empathy. I often wonder, you know, like, uh, were you a gypsy or were you from a gypsy family who could sort of pick up on the vibes of what people were feeling and read their read their kind of, you know, their future life in, you know, to them in their palms their hands you know I'm, I'm not being kind of silly about it I just think there's something there that is in your background that that speaks to that empathy and where does that come from is there something that runs in the family or something you know I really don't know I, I come from a small town in Saskatchewan called Kamsak and a fairly large family I have three brothers two sisters and uh, I grew up in a small town and ever so ironically the town we live in now though it's larger than Kamsak, uh, when I go to the post office here, it's about the same amount of steps as going to the post office in Kamsak. It's the same amount of steps to go to the grocery store. There's some similarities there. And so it was a small town life and it was a different time. You know, we didn't have computers and we spent a lot of time outside and uh, doing those things. And artistically, I, I, I drew a lot as a child. That was what I did. I didn't paint at all, I, but I drew a, a lot. And I, I was quite good at drawing portraits. I don't know why I went to portraits, but portraits with both pencil and uh, pen. I, I would draw portraits with a pen. And I'm, I'm saying that like it doesn't make sense because with pen, you can't do any erasing. It's, you, there's no take backs. Uh, so maybe I, I acquired some skill that way, but the intuitive empathetic part, I. I think, I think I became more empathetic generally after I had a very tough uh, beginning to my adult life where uh, I was married quite, was I young? Oh, I don't know how old I was, but it didn't last very long. It was a, like a year and it was a horrible thing. And I don't really want to go into it except to say that it was so horrible that I couldn't imagine anything feeling worse and what happened as a result of that, um, my fears went away. All my fears, fears of death, fear of Sasquatch, fear of nuclear war. I, I had no fear after that. It was like nothing ever can happen that's as bad as that. So that happened. And then at some point in my journey, I learned, I call it, I learned to listen to the wind. I learned to listen to the cues that mother nature was giving me and life was giving me as to when to do certain things, when to pay attention. And that has served me incredibly well in this, not just my artistic journey, but my life journey. Um, I pay attention when there's, there's something there that I have to follow, that I have to act upon. And I do that still with the art because you may wonder, well, what did I paint today? Uh, I painted a uh, bighorn sheep. Well, why did I paint that bighorn sheep? Because, uh, well, actually, I just saw that bighorn sheep right next to my wife. She, it was on the highway, and she rolled down her window, and it was right there, like, inches away from her. And I snapped the picture, and everything in my body told me I had to paint that right away. And I just honored that. You know. That's incredible to hear that because you're really going with this yin and yang of your life. It's the flow, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like you were saying earlier, that you're not frightened to follow it. And yeah, that, that gives incredible confidence to you, you know, just to sort of go for it. And and I wish 
a lot of people would learn from that, you know, just to sense their feelings and say, what the heck, throw the shackles off and just do it. See what happens. See how it feels, you know, and that's, that's wonderful. There was a, there was a time when I had a, a life shift and it might've been as part of this painting journey, but I made a decision to make, when I was faced with some, a decision, I would choose that thing that felt light as opposed to the thing that felt heavy. It was a very simple way of, of making choices. And, um, and that has served me really, really well too. And I make that, it serves me in so many different ways. And so sometimes if I feel called, as an example, I did a contest where I gave away a dog portrait. And in the end, it was a bit of voting involved and there was down to two dogs. And in the end, every bone in my body said, I got to gift two paintings, not just one. And there was a very good reason. And it was the right thing to do. And I just listened to what the universe was saying. And that felt light to me. Um, and it felt great. And it was positive. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really great trick if you're struggling in your life. Choose that which feels light, not that which feels heavy. You know, the, the, in the last couple of days, that's the second time I've heard somebody say that. It was light, but not heavy. And for the life of me, I can't remember who said it, but it just made so much sense. Yeah. So it's kind of following that intuition, isn't it? What it feels like. And that's really the most important thing, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, the other thing about, I'm often asked to do interesting paintings and I often will say, oh yes, I could do that. And I can do it in this size. Here's the cost. But most times I don't dig into the story of why. And I don't know why I don't. It's because I just want to honor what's in front of me and I go through a process. And when it's done and I gift it to the client or, or sell it to the client, I then get to hear the story. And it's, uh, there's been so many great stories. Uh, you know, the, the biggest commission I ever did was a seven foot high, five foot wide portrait of a cow. And the cow's name was uh, Bovaline, Bovaline. And I didn't know the story. Why is this lady asking me to paint a cow seven feet tall? But after I finished it and she came to see it and she, the first words out of her mouth as she stood there was, oh my God, that's Bovaline. And then she told me the story of who was Bovaline and why was she so important to her. And it was a precious moment. And there's been so many of those over the years. You're halfway through listening to On On The Track, me, David Wilson. My guest this week is Russell Thomas from Birdsong Studios. Hasn't it been great listening about Thomas's journey and how he's inspired people on the way? Next, I wanted to ask Russell a little bit about his family and where his ancestry is from. Well, I haven't done that research, but um, a relative did. Because of the way the, 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 the records are kept online, they were able to go to the ship that the first relatives came over in the late 1800s, and here's who was on board, and oh, who is that girl? She doesn't show up in the family, you know, that kind of thing. They came from, we came from England uh, on the Thomas side, for sure. The, my mom is of French origin, so from Quebec, um, and before that, France, obviously, but pretty basic French-English. Um, and, and I have had stories of some of my relatives that are very artistic. I had a great-grandfather that loved to carve wood uh, I have family members on my on the, the French side of my family that are extraordinary artists in fact uh, my oldest cousin is is a the first artist I ever knew and and he lives in Venezuela and uh, he's a very interesting guy and we communicate quite regularly using whatsapp and uh, he's a very kind supporter of my journey and but I hadn't talked to him in 40 years. And all of a sudden through technology and this art thing, we have this ongoing dialogue and uh, he's a re real creator. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's, 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 so I don't, it's not just me. Uh, and, and the artistic gene and the creative gene is definitely in our immediate family. My wife, of course, is a terrific abstract artist and writer. Our son, Dylan, is an amazing actor and a playwright and director. And then our son, Ben, who's the real artist in the family, quote unquote, um, 
is going to become an architect at UBC in Vancouver, but his artistic skills are off the charts. Uh, just his natural ability, uh, but combined with a work ethic. Uh, so the whole family is creative in this way. I like you, you reminded everybody about the work ethic because I think that's so much part of what we do as artists, you know, creators, is that if you have a great work ethic, you can make it a success. If you're lazy and you're not prepared to put the effort and the time in, then forget it. You may as well not even start, you know. That's where I come from, you know. Well, even you doing this podcast, yeah, you can press record, but then after you got to go back and make it the art artistic presentation that it is. And that's a lot of work. And uh, I agree with you 100%. Um, and I tell every young artist or even an emerging older artist that you got to put the work in. It's, it's, that's the reality. It, can we just sort of see a, a snapshot of Russell when he was young? Did you, what sort of dreams did you have as a young person? You know, maybe you got into sort of junior high, into high school. Mm. Did you have any dreams about what you were going to do? No, I was, as I say, I was very unstrategic. Um, I actually started out going to, into pre-med, but when I look back on it, I, I think it's not a regret, but I still have dreams about my failure of, at university. And it wasn't failure in the sense that I failed every class. It just, it wasn't for me. The timing wasn't right. And I really wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I fell into theater uh, in university and that became the great distraction. <laughs> at all levels so I'd spent way more time doing theater than anything else and uh, thought that was going to be my life in the end certain things happened and uh, radio fell into my lap a friend of mine said one day I'm going to this radio broadcasting school open house you want to come I went sure next thing you know I'm enrolled in broadcasting school and that began a 10-year radio career that was was really fundamental to who I am today and has given me so many of the tools that so I've often say that my my success is very cumulative I've picked up things through my entire life and with radio I learned uh the entertainment side I learned how to speak in front of large audiences I learned to speak to in one moment, the prime minister of the country, the next moment, uh, an electrician, blue collar guy. I, I, you, you learn that. Um, you learned how to tell a joke. <laughs> Not that I was a great joke teller, but I, I, can, I can make people laugh in certain situations. And that, was, that all came from my radio career. I ended up being in the, on the management side eventually. And so I, I learned about that stuff and hiring and firing and dealing with problem employees and those kind of things. I dealt with how do you make changes in organizations and, and all of that, but it was all unplanned. It was never anything that I dreamed of doing. I didn't dream of being an artist. In fact, for years, David, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even see myself as an artist. I remember I was, I was at Yale university doing this session with some MBA students I was, I think it was when I was on municipal council up in Fort Mac and it was part of something. Anyway, I'm, I'm talking with these young people who are incredible people because they're MBA students at Yale. But what came out in those conversations was I couldn't say the word artist, that I am an artist. I couldn't say it. I just, I physically couldn't do it. And I, I'm absolutely not an entrepreneur. Those were the two themes that came out of that visit. And after I spoke those things, very shortly after, I discovered, well, wait a minute, I am an artist and I do see myself as an artist. And oh my gosh, all these other things I've done through my life make me well positioned to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know it. And, um, and I think that that's interesting that it was totally unplanned and haphazard but now that I'm 55, I just recently turned 55, I, I have a drive and determination to follow this path wherever it takes me. And I don't see myself retiring because I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I love, I'm out here every morning at 6.30, no matter what, seven days a week. And I love it. I, did, I don't want to be idle. Um, I'm intrigued by allowing the creative 
this this painting journey to take me to places I have no idea where it's going to take me, whether that's how I paint or whether it's where I paint or what I'm painting for. I'm just allowing it. So I, because of this, I've painted with very poor families in Cambodia. I've I've painted in front of 800 people with the other well three weeks ago with Mark Messier in the crowd and. Mark Messier was there watching me paint him. And uh, I've never said no to a strange opportunity. And, and I look forward to figuring out what those new opportunities will be as I go forward. You, you know, what's wonderful. Just the, the vibe I get from you is you're still curious, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah. So yeah. curious. And that's a childlike thing that, you know, I embrace as well. You know, why not? Let's see what happens. You know, you never know what's on the other side, do you? No, I, I, I'm fortunate because, you know, a lot of people work in jobs where they, they're not resentful, but they really look forward to the weekend and the holidays. With the work that I do, if I get some time off, guess what I'm doing? I'm painting. That's <laughs> incredible, it's, isn't it? <laughs> that's, I, I truly enjoy doing it. And I need to do that. Because I, I get commissioned to paint certain things. And I like, I like doing commissions. But I sometimes have to re-energize re by doing something that's just calling to me in the moment for no other reason than to refresh and recharge. And, uh, and I do that. I honor that because it's really super important. And sometimes someone might have to wait a little bit for a commission project, but under the surface, it's because I have to either learn something or figure something out to achieve what I want to achieve for them. And people are very generous and patient. Yeah, no, and I totally get that because it's, again, the rich tapestry of life. I often find after I do one of these interviews, I've learned something new. I've learned a different perspective on life. I, you know, I knew about something, but guess what? I didn't know that part fitted in there, you know, and it gets, yeah. it's kind of, you know, that's why it's called On Another Track. It's kind of that roadmap that helps you find your way along, you know, which I love. I absolutely adore. You know, I could talk to you for hours and I know there's so much that we haven't spoken about, but what I do really want to feature is, is kind of bring it back to the business a little bit. What's the best way of somebody getting a hold of you if they did want a commission? How do you go about that? Well, the best way is through social media. Uh, we've built the business through Facebook and Instagram primarily, but what I've learned is individuals have their preferences. And I, I can identify in my mind clients that, well, they're going to see that on Twitter or the client that's going to see that only on LinkedIn. And so I do my best to cover all the avenues. So that's the easiest way to, to get in touch with me and it's not that I don't say no. Sometimes I do say no. But what I'm really interested in is painting moments, uh, painting subjects that will help that individual connect to something important. What I'm not interested in doing is painting a family of 14 <laughs> or a hockey team. Or, <laughs> and I've been asked that, you know, and I, I'm not, that's not where I'm going with my, my journey. But um, we have, I have, we have a website, it's, it's birdsongstudios.ca, but I've learned the social media is, is, has been the core of our business. Um, it's how we connect with people. It's how we have a community of folks across the country in the U.S. and around the world that stay in touch with what I'm doing. And that's how I'm able to communicate uh, about some of the charitable things that I'm working on all the time. I'm in the middle of a a 52-week painting challenge. We're raising money to build our fifth home for a family in Cambodia that right now would be living in a ramshackle shack with no walls and absolutely no security. Um, so I'm, I'm in the process of doing that. Um, I, and I love that. I, I serve on the board as well of this very small charity. And I told them I was going to mention bracelets for buildings in this interview. And What's really cool is um, Lee and, and Kent reached out one day asking if I'd be interested in getting involved. And they didn't know what that meant with the art and how would the art connect. And I didn't know. But I trusted that it was important. And where that's taken me has been just phenomenal. Just uh, so many stories of figuring out, well, how does the art factor into this? And... How does the art serve the communities we we connect with on the ground in Cambodia? And uh, it's been just one of the most joyful things in my life to spend time in the small villages of Cambodia, 
I, I tell people after a couple of days of hanging out with the kids, it's, it's like we create our own language because they don't speak English. I don't speak Khmer, but we totally can communicate after a couple of days. And uh, yeah, it's been super fun. That, that is just wonderful because, you know, as music is an international language, so is art. You know, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, what's, what's lovely about it, it's not exclusive in any way. It's inclusive. You know, if you're in that yeah. village and you start painting, those kids want to paint. You know, they want to be inspired. Isn't it incredible, eh? Let me paint a picture. So the last time I was there was just before the pandemic. And the family we were building a home for, their, their living situation wasn't great. And there's kind of garbage strewn around. And I had to find a spot to set up to do painting with the kids. And I had to find a little bit of shade because there's not a lot of shade in that part of the world. And it's very hot. But I did. And we painted together. And we did this. Um, it was sort of a... It was abstract, but we did it together, and it was beautiful. And it was it was had sort of a, there were sea stars in there and various other things, and it was colorful. And these young children had never painted ever before, and it was such a wonderful experience. I decided I was going to go into the city and find some supplies for them, so I went and bought them some supplies and dropped them off. And a couple of days go by, and it was time to gift the home to the family. So I arrive, and before we got to gift the home these two little girls they were like maybe eight or nine proudly come up with two canvases that they'd painted that they wanted to gift to me oh my yeah it was really incredible yeah incredible yeah that was probably the most moving moment and there's been many but um that's what it's about those human connections and we've had the the blessing of being able to go back and see some of the people that we've helped previously in previous years and to see the impact that a home makes. And I gift while I'm there, I paint and I gift the paintings to the families as well. And I didn't know, I didn't expect the paintings to still be around. I maybe they'd sell them or what I just didn't know. Right. But in every single home, the painting was put in a place of pride and the, like the most important spot in a Buddhist home right next to Buddha and I was like blown away. And um, yeah, it's pretty powerful. You know, it's wonderful to hear that because what you did is you just gave them an opportunity of something they'd never experienced before. And that, that just fills the heart, doesn't it? It really yeah, does. Yeah. And it's wonderful. You know what? Um, I think we're going to have to have a follow-up uh, interview. I think there's so much that we still haven't touched base on. And it would be I apologize. Lovely. I can go on and on. No, no, not stories. at all. I, but the thing about it is... I'd love to get maybe Heather on the next time and, and maybe have you oh, sure. both, which would be wonderful because I know Heather does, like I say, she does her abstract painting. And, but one final question before we go, Russell, and, and I think this is something that's going to be quite interesting. If, if you were 18 again, okay, and you met yourself on a Saskatchewan bus somewhere in Saskatchewan, you were traveling to Alberta or wherever it is, what advice would you give yourself, do you think? Oh, boy. You know, I think that the advice would be to embrace all the bad stuff. And that may sound weird, but I learned somewhere along the way to reframe the negative into a positive. And it's the bad stuff that has served me the, the, the most over the years. And instead of fearing it or regretting it, or being angry about it, I actually am grateful for the bad things, whether it's a marriage gone bad or a bad work situation or uh, a tragedy. All those bad things, actually, when you look back on them, have served my journey really, really well. And uh, they don't feel good in the moment, but that's okay. And uh, don't shy away from it because it's the bad stuff that will, will serve and enrich your life in a, in a way you can't even predict. Wonderful words. I'm not going to do an addendum to that at all. <laughs> Russell Thomas, I want to say painter extraordinaire because the paintings are extraordinary. And I, I really want to urge people to get to your website. So just repeat your website again so people can just log on. Yeah, you know, I'm going to, the best place to go uh, would be birdsongstudios.ca. But Follow me on Facebook or Instagram because most everybody's on those. It's just Russell Thomas Art, Russell Thomas Art. 
And that's where it's alive because it changes every day and you get to see the surprises and encourage people to say hello. Can't say better than that. Russell, it's been a real pleasure to catch up after probably six or seven years. Yeah, thank you. I don't want to leave it so long next time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Dave. This has been fun. Yeah. It's, it has been fun. And, and like I say, we've only scratched the surface, but I, I suspect that we'll be back in about another six or 12 months to get a catch up and to see where things are. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know I sent you uh, the connection to Daniel. Fantastic. He, and he, yeah. He's, yeah, he's great. He's a great storyteller too. So Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to reach out to Daniel because um, what's lovely about it is the program that I do in the UK on White Horse Radio. Uh, they, of course, it relates to all the UK people as well, which is wonderful. So Daniel have some great stories that will just oh. build the bridges between the two cultures, which would be wonderful, you know? Absolutely. And if you, you know, because I, I love the format of your show, if I have other suggestions, are you okay if I just pop them your way? Do so. I, I, people? Yeah. I'd be most grateful because for me, that's really how I get a lot of my guests. It's by referral. And people say, you know, you really took us on a journey which we never expected. We've never heard that about Russell before. We didn't know he did that, you know? Yeah. And that's really what's lovely. It's a, it's a, a voyage or a journey of discovery, which I adore. So yeah, please do. Cool. Please do. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for your time and give my regards to Heather as well. And uh, right on. Keep the good work up. Thank you, Dave. Take care. All right. Bye bye. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week was Russell Thomas from Birdsong Studios, creating those amazing human connections with inspiring painting moments. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track with me, David Wilson, on your local podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.